Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. Uh, a couple of quick shout-outs. I want to thank the band All or Nothing for giving me this really cool T-shirt that I'm wearing. If you're watching the video, you can see it. If you're listening on audio, you can't. But those guys are great. All or Nothing, great band. Check out my episode with them. Check out their music. Also, a shout-out to all the people who took the time to write me some really nice iTunes reviews. I see a few more on there, and I really appreciate that. Uh, now, on to the show today. Uh, my guest is Adam Hamilton. He is a musician, producer, extraordinaire. Uh, this guy has really done it all. He started out working with Poison CC DeVille, and then he was in LA Guns for like 10 years. Um, but he's a producer, and he's done music for movies and TV. So he's done a lot of cool stuff, and he has a lot of great stories. I had a blast listening to this. And um, I'll have to have him on again to hear more, because I just felt like there was so much stuff he was telling me. I was on the edge of my seat. I want to hear more and more. Uh, but I didn't want to interrupt the stuff that he was telling me. So we'll just have to have him on again and uh, hear more stories. So this episode should definitely keep you on your toes. Check it out. Hey, welcome to the show. Adam Hamilton, how are you? Great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how so are you? I'm great. Yeah, this is busy this week. I got a lot of interviews, but this is fun. I like doing this stuff. So it's always fun to talk to you guys. Yeah, man, me too. I love doing it too. You got a lot of stories, I'm sure. So let's start at the beginning. So tell me, I, I'm going to mispronounce this hometown is it Shreveport, Louisiana? Yep, you got it. Okay, got so it. yeah, so uh, Jared Leto is from there. Terry Bradshaw, and this is the good one. Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Did you ever? He's a friend of mine. Yeah. He, no way, really? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I see Kenny Wayne like once, once about once a week out here. We, I used to play in bars. I'm a little older than him, but yeah, I knew his dad, who was a a big radio DJ uh, station manager there. And I, my bands when I was in college would be playing bars, and he would bring Kenny literally in diapers to see all the bands and let him sit in. And I literally, literally saw him, it, you know, play jam with his first band when he was 14. Uh, oh. so yeah, man, Shreveport's got a, a lot of musicians, Kix Brooks from Brooks and Dunn, the country artist. Oh, I didn't there. know that one. Yeah. Very uh, cool. Was that Burton, who James Burton guitarist for Elvis Presley. Oh, okay. Nelson. Was football big there in Louisiana when you were growing up? Oh yes. Football is very big there. And were you into it or did you, how did you avoid that? If you weren't, there's no way to avoid it, man. You know, you're an LSU Tigers fan or you're an outcast, you know? <laughs> so you're into it. Are you still into it now or? Not so much. I no. mean, I like, I love it when football comes on in the fall and, the, and it gets a little cooler and it's like, all right, the holidays are here. It's fun to have it on, but I don't follow anybody anymore. You know? Okay. So you discovered music through your dad's records and the radio. Like what kind of music were you listening to in those early years? Well, uh, I was, I grew up literally spending summers on the Mississippi Delta, uh, in, uh, Greenwood, Mississippi. And mm. my cousin is Mose Allison. He's a very famous blues, jazz, piano singer, songwriter. He wrote a lot of classic blues songs like Young Man's Blues and Parchment Farm Blues that a lot of these famous blues artists covered. Mm. And it just kind of was in my blood. You know, I just grew up around it all. I grew up everywhere you go. There's music in Louisiana. It's part of the culture. And just started beating on pots and pans when I was a kid, you know, when I was three and, and my uncle said, I think you better get him a drum kit. It looks like he's going to be a, a musician. Yeah. So you, cause you play the guitar, the bass, the drums, the keyboards, but drums was your main instrument. So did you learn all that stuff as a kid or was some of that learned later? Yeah. You learned it yeah, all. You know, I, I, I'd kind of got, it was a natural to the drums kind of took to it when I was three or four. And then eventually as a drummer, usually you're like, well, I'm going to write songs and I'm going to play some melody and you right. just kind of gravitate toward learning other things. All the drummers that I know 
know a little bit of the others, you know? Yeah. Cause how do you, can you write some songs on the drums? Like Metallica's drummer, he's always credited with a like co-write of all the songs. Is he writing that yeah. stuff just with a beat or is he, well, you know, probably not. He's probably saying, Hey man, try this here and try oh, this okay. chord here. And, and I'm sure if, if Lars picked up the guitar, he could probably play a couple of chords enough to, you know, be a c- contributor as a writer. I mean, he's so talented. Yeah, for sure. So you started doing production. This is crazy. At age 12 or 13, you got a four track and you're doing like yeah. the local bands. So did you have a lot of equipment? Was it mostly just a four track? And were you playing yeah. in the bands at this time too, or were you just doing the production? You know, I was, I was always a band guy. That was my thing. And then when I got about 14 or 15, I loved both sides of it so much. I hmm. loved playing music in a band. Uh, and writing songs and creating music and recording. But I also loved the nuts and bolts and behind the scenes of recording other bands. So I was equally obsessed with both. And I knew that, that I wanted to do both at some point in some way. And then later on, when I got a little older, I'd I'd be watching movies on the TV and I'd be like turning the volume down and I'd be playing the guitar going, wow, I have a good little piece of music for that. So I thought, I also want to add to the list. I want to like work on music for TV and film. And so Thank God I've been able wow. to do all that. That's yeah. Kind of what I do now, my, you know, was besides touring, I don't tour too much anymore. Right. Um, but uh, now I just stay in my studio all day and do, and do that. Uh, you know, the other two. Yeah. So when, and then when you were around, well, I think it was, it must've been around the time you graduated high school, you decided you're, all right, I'm going for it. I'm going to go make it. But instead of moving to like LA or New York or, or even Nashville, you decided on Austin. Why Austin as opposed to one of those bigger markets? Well, when I was younger, you know, the the idea, the thought of moving to New York or, or L.A. seemed really overwhelming and scary because mm-hmm. I come from a small town and I just wasn't ready to make that jump. And I really didn't know where to go. Uh, so I just kind of migrated to the closest near uh, music town to mm. me. And that was Nash- was Austin. But it turned out that was a good move, and it was part of my plan because that's kind of where I got my first big break was living in Austin. Right. So let's talk about that. So you're playing, or were you playing drums at this club where you're discovering? Okay. So you're playing drums, yeah. and Poison CC Deville is in town on the Flesh and Blood tour or something, and yeah. he just happens to come into the club, and so is he kind of like starstruck by you in a way, like he's like mesmerized by well, your drumming, or what was it? He was. He wasn't. He was watching a band at a bar downstairs where I was playing in the bar upstairs. And uh, I saw him standing there and I just said, this is my opportunity. I got to go say hi to him and, and at least just say, hey, come hear my band. Mm-hmm. And I said hi and he was really nice and he gave me a big hug. And it was almost like <laughs> I met an old friend. And, I and this like, is like oh, in the peak nice. of his popularity. This isn't like. This when, yeah, this was in 91 when Poison had the number one record in the country. And that was, was he being was mobbed by a bunch of other people, too, though, or? No, not at all. He was with a couple of, you know, people that he was hanging out with and they came upstairs and he watched my band and he just got tickled watching me because I was a show off and throwing drumsticks and just acting a fool. Um, And then he got up and jammed with us. And then after we played, he said, hey, I want you to come see us. We're playing tomorrow night. And I didn't have a gig. So I went and saw him at the Irwin Center the next night. Did he give you like and, a backstage pass or something? Or yeah, what? he got he gave me backstage nice. passes and, and I went back there and we hung out and then he got me on the tour bus afterwards with me and my buddy and he pulled me aside and he goes, Hey, give me your number because I'm really thinking about, you know, in the not too distant future leaving poison and starting my own band, and I want you to be the drummer. And my head just exploded. 
Yeah. So I'm like, it was, it was just one of those surreal moments for sure you hear about in movies that you dream about happening. You lay in bed going, Oh my God, this is, this would be great if this ever happened to me. And so we swapped numbers out and then uh, they continued on tour and I got his number. He had my number and I didn't hear from him for a year. And I called sometime within that year and got his answer machine and left a message, but I never got a call back. And I was so disappointed and i just was like my life is over that was my big break and <laughs> oh now no it's all down the tubes and you know you know like you do when you're a kid you place all your eggs in that one basket and right. that's the only opportunity to ever come wait life's over. so let's back so, up for a minute though here before we, yeah. so we move on to the story going yeah. back to the poison tour bus tell me about that because i saw the poison behind the music and again yeah. this was at their peak of their career was this when all the crazy stuff was happening when there's all the girls and they were doing the, the signals and you know, this girl, that girl on stage and stuff like that. All so of, all of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately all of that is true. Um, but at that point when I was hanging out with him, he was really segregated from the other guys because oh. he was really unhappy and he was just not, it, it had just all, you know, pretty much all the relationships had soured mm. and he was on his way out. And, you know, he was also going through a lot of, of substance uh, problems. And it was right. not like I'm, I'm outing him or anything. This was no, no. That's... Tell, you, tell you himself that he was struggling with. Hey, listen, it was the 80s, man. And everybody partied. <laughs> yeah. And, if you, and, well, and, and, and everybody in the audience partied. Well, and, and this was is just a right. party all the time. And that's what's so amazing about your story is that, like you said, it had been a year. But eventually he does call you. So I'm just curious, like, how did he even find this is before cell phones or Facebook? Yeah. Like how he must have saved your number somewhere, like even in his drugged out state or whatever. He told me the story and it's pretty miraculous. He said he came off tour and managed to save my number and threw it in in a drawer at his mom's house and then couldn't find it and scrambled when he when he finally quit the band. He tried to find my number. And he tried calling all these people, couldn't locate it, couldn't figure it out. Finally, he went over to his mom's house and, and for some reason went through that drawer and saw it. And, it. and it had my parents' number because the number that I had was no longer uh, active. I had moved to San Antonio. Oh. So he, that number he couldn't get me at. So he called my parents' house and woke my mom up at three in the morning. And my mother was tickled pink because she knew about oh. the whole story. And she was oh. like, I hope that you would call one day and here's his new number. Okay. And then he called me at three 30 after he talked to my mom for like 20 minutes and woke me up. And <laughs> I, it was another one of those surreal moments where you're just like, Oh my God, this is actually happening. I, I thought it wasn't going to happen. And now it is. And it wow. was amazing. And, and you, you really, I've, I've realized that in my career now as somebody who was almost 51 years old, that you have, uh, many different opportunities and, and, and breaks, but that's the one that literally like pu- pulled me in and got me to Hollywood and like got me started. And that was, that was my big break. It really was. Yeah. You so know, he, you was. actually moved in with him, right. And you're living yeah, with CC DeVille. I came out audition and literally flew out, flew out. He had somebody pick me up at the airport and they literally drove from the airport up to the top of the Hollywood Hills in this giant mansion that you see on the poison behind the music and I literally was walking in going, oh, my God, this is this is surreal, you know, uh, it yeah. was surreal. And he hadn't woken up yet. It was later in the day and he woke up and gave me a big hug. And we kind of talked for a few minutes and he said, hey, let's just go jam. And he had all this equipment set up in literally like a bedroom of a mansion. 
like enough equipment to play the forum. And we literally just played a Zeppelin song and about halfway through, he goes, you got the gig, you got the gig. Let's, let's go, let's go hang out. And we literally just hung out for the weekend and jammed and just partied. And it was great. It was amazing. So I flew home, we had Christmas and new year's. And then I flew back right out and lived with him for four months. And we tried to get a band off to get off the the ground, but it never happened. So yeah, the CC DeVille experiment, I guess it didn't, uh, the experiment did not uh, come to fruition, but so those four months hanging out with CC DeVille and living with him and, and part, was there like some guest stars in this uh, party? Like, like, was it, who else were you hanging out with? Or did you have to say like an NDA for this? Cause Everybody you can think of came would come hang out at that house. I mean, I met everybody you can think of. The, the first day I got there, Stevie Rochelle from Tough and his girlfriend were there, and I got to meet all those guys. Uh, and then the Bullet Boys came over that weekend, and then Tommy <laughs> Lee came over that week. And wow! Steve came over the next week, and Sam Kennison came over one night. And we Sam Kennison. I mean, it was, that was just, that was his life. You wow. know, that was the, the life he was living and he was living at the top of the hill and it was the party house. And it was just, it was crazy. It was everything you ever imagined, you know, and it was the tail end of that, yeah. but, it, but it was, I, I got to, got to live it for a little bit and it was pretty crazy. But so is that why the band didn't, didn't happen because he was just partying too much or was it just, well, I think, I think everyone was partying a lot. We were, the timing was, was terrible for this band. As great as the band was, it was really a great band and that, that we were writing great songs, but mm-hmm. it was Nirvana was on TV and you were mm-hmm. literally watching Nirvana going, we're a little too late for what we're trying to do right now. And I right. just feel it because like, I liked Nirvana and I liked Allison Chains and all that stuff. I was young enough to really like get into all that. Although that wasn't, uh, you know, I just, I was at, I was one of those people that when the times changed, I kind of was young enough to like go, Oh yeah. Oh, I like some of that. Oh, that's cool. You know, I didn't throw myself and become a grunge person. Mm-hmm. I always loved eighties metal, but I always loved music in general. It just wasn't, yeah. you know, me too. It wasn't So, yeah. So that band kind of morphs into uh, what is it called? Joey C. Jones and the Glory Hounds. And he gave you the songs. And then some of those songs you guys uh, wrote with the Cheap Trick uh, people. Yeah, he gave us one song to use on the record, which was called Broadway. And we did that. Um, But uh, Joey had the singer had worked with Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander prior Uh to meeting up with Cece. um, And those guys. Uh, had produced a couple of songs and given Joey an old unreleased cheap trick song called wait all night. And, you know, nothing ever happened with it, but they gave us the blessing and they said, Hey, put it on your album. So that's why that became our, our single. Okay. And that band that, that also just kind of fizzled out. And then you joined another band, right? Uh, God's child, which changed their name to uh, Joe 90. Yeah. And then this yeah. was cool because you guys got signed by the counting crows singer, Adam Durowitz, and he got you to open for counting crows. So talk about that experience, because that's I mean, you've had some run ins with some big people, but now you're actually opening for Counting Crows and probably playing what stadiums or big theaters at least. Big theater. Yeah, we play big theaters and maybe an arena here or there on the tour. Um, I met Adam through some mutual mutual friends just out in Hollywood, and he just was a really sweet guy. And he would come see Joan, which was called God's Child, but we had changed the band name to Joe 90 because God's Child was signed to, to Warner Brothers on Quincy Jones's label. Um, and they had a hit before I was in the band. It went up to number 14 on the um, alternative charts. Mm. And I liked the song, but yeah. I just didn't know who sang it because this was, you know, pre-online uh, streaming. Wikipedia and, you know, and stuff. Say, I love the song, but I don't know who it is. And you can't find out who it is. Right. But it turned out I... I got the gig as the drummer in that band of one of those songs I love. Um, 
but uh, Adam said, hey, uh, I heard you guys are uh, are uh, looking for a new deal. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I have a label. And we're like, well, we're looking to sign a deal. And he goes, well, I'll sign you. And it was literally that easy. That's how it happened. And we, he goes, I've seen your band. I love you guys. You know, give me a tape so I can take into the label. And he had a smaller label that was through Geffen. So it was okay. funded. It was under the Geffen tree. But um, wow. it was still an indie label, you know, with only four or five artists. And um, but the good thing about Adam is, is Adam was so helpful to us. He immediately said, come hang out at my house. We'll chill out. We'll, we'll talk about this whole thing. We'll make some plans. He said, the Counting Crows are doing a new album. I want you guys to come up and be a guest on it. And we ended up coming up and, and playing on the album and getting to be on that song, Hanging Around, that big single. Oh, that you guys are on that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's all us singing, doing the hand claps oh, okay. and singing and all that. Uh, plus another, a bunch of other friends of his that okay. we all knew that we all had in common. Um, and then Adam said, hey, we're going to do a video. Come be in the video. And then he said, we're going to go do Conan O'Brien. We're going to do a single. Come be on stage with us. And so he did everything he possibly could to help us. Mm-hmm. And, to help, and he took us on tour and he said, hey, come open for us for months at a time. And you know, it just wasn't in the cards for it, for it hmm. to be, you know, we had, we had, there were, we had some success in some areas where every song off our label was licensed in, in TV and film. There wasn't one song that didn't make it into something, which is pretty crazy. I don't know of another album out there that every song has been licensed for something. So that was, that was a pretty cool success in itself, but we were also, unfortunately, when you're on a label like his, you know, and you go to radio and radio can only add so many songs at alternative radio a week, you know, they'll, they'll only add a couple of records Yeah, and we just never got priority. You know, we yeah. were always we were like, we just can't add you, you know, we've got the new chili pepper single. We can't right. add you guys. Okay. You know? and yeah. And so then you're it was, in, an- it was a bad, it was, it was a tough time. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have, and we didn't have, you know, uh, he, I think Adam was also at a point where, he was breaking his, they were trying to break that record, which ended up getting, getting a platinum record and having a hit mm-hmm. and hanging around with the number one. But at the same time, you know, man, listen, when you're, when you're out there working a record for, and you're an artist and you're going on tour and then you're trying to nurture another band and help, you know, you've only got, you've only got so many hours in a day and so much energy to, and you can really only do so much after all in the end of the day, you know? Right. So, so well, I will always appreciate him and everything he did for us. He's, he's been a great fr- friend and, and all those got those guys are couldn't, couldn't be nicer guys and we're friends with them all still today. So that's, that's great. Yeah. Cause, and then you had another band called needle park that was kind of a one-off with a uh, Joey C uh, your, or sorry, your Joey C Jones bandmate, Craig. And that yeah. had uh, some guests on it, Donnie V and the guitars from Buck Cherry. Yeah, um, but that's yeah, another one that um, fizzled out. So what do you think? Like up to this point, you've been in th- at least three bands. I know you're in uh, the another alternative. You play drums for uh, Brian Jones Massacre. But you've had three yeah. bands that record deals. You did this touring. You work with all these big names. But none of these bands quite pop. Like what did you learn from being in all these bands? Like why do you think they all fizzled out? And, and why didn't you guys just keep going? Even though maybe, like you said, you weren't getting the radio air, radio airplay, but you didn't. Yeah. But then you just kind of you gave up or what what happened? You know, it's just everything runs its course and everything has its time. And a a lot of times you don't even really in situations like that, you really don't have to. And and another thing is having a band is like, like imagine trying to date four different women at the same time. Think about having to manage all those relationships Mm. and those dynamics and keeping everybody happy. And somebody wants this, somebody doesn't want this. 
it's the it's harder. I, I've been married for almost 15 years and being in a band is harder than being married. It's it's wow. tough, man. Yeah. You know, and when you're in your 20s, you know, your frontal lobe is not even fully formed yet. So you're yeah. doing some stupid things and you're right. not making really rational decisions. It's tough, man. You know, and and having a, a success, having a a song that it, or an album, you know, a successful album, much less a platinum or a gold or platinum or a number one is millions to one the odds of that happening you know it's just really it really is when you look at the odds that are stacked against you and why somebody like vanilla ice will sell 16 million albums and then somebody who's uh, you know miles davis will only sell one i don't know who's to say man it's all relative you know but wow it is what it is yeah well it is what it is and you just go on the journey and you know things happen and but what a fun journey it is for you. You're making all these connections. And so one of these connections you made with the, uh, uh, the bass player of LA guns, muddy stardust. Yep. And he, yep. so he quits or he leaves or whatever reason he recommends you to be the, the bass player in LA guns. So, I mean, this is, yeah. this is not like joining the rolling stones, but this is like a pretty, you know, this band is established, you know, they're not going to be a one-off and done kind of thing. This is a band that's going to keep going. It's a machine. Um, so did that kind of feel like at that point, like, all right, I've kind of like made it in a way, like I've got a steady gig. We're going to have shows. We're going to tour. Uh, we're going to do the records and you were in there for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. I played with him for like almost a, de- a decade. You know, it was, I, I had, I had just gotten so exhausted. Uh, I kind of was burnt out on playing the drums to, to be honest with you mm-hmm. and touring around with a van and a trailer and not having a tour bus for decades just burned me out, man. I would literally unload the drums every night and just go, oh, I hate this. I hate this. And my drum kit kept getting smaller and smaller and I'd be only bringing in certain things, you know, oh. and finally I ended up like looking like the Stray Cats drummer with just two drums. Cause I was just like, <laughs> I'm just over it. Yeah. And I literally came off the last tour that my band that Joe and I did. And we all just knew that it was the end of the road and our record deal had kind of, it, that label had, had, literally been folded so adam's label they folded it up and we didn't have a deal and we just knew it's time for something different and muddy had actually is a great producer he produced one of those brian jonestown albums okay and that's how i got to play on it he called me in to play drums on one of the albums uh and that's a whole nother side th- side story for later but muddy was going off to play with slim jim from the stray cats gilby clark um and teddy from from um Guns and Roses, Guns and, Roses to do a yeah. band. and so he just knew that it was time for him to 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 make you know have a different a different path and he said hey man I know you play bass you do you want to play with LA Guns and I'm like all of a sudden I'm like yeah man that sounds like a lot of fun that would be a blast I loved LA Guns um didn't know any of the guys except for Muddy um but I just it just felt something out something said this is going to be fun. I think this is going to be great, and it and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I got to tour the go around the world six or seven times. I had never gotten to you know leave the states before. You know oh. now it's like I have friends in Turkey and in Greece and and you know uh, England. It, it's just it's been such a blessing, and I'm still friends with those guys and working with them today, but not in the band. You know my my home life is a lot more. Uh, chilled and I don't do a lot of traveling these days, but it was one of the greatest things. It still is. Did, was it, did I, I thought I read something about you were jamming with steel Panther at nights and partying on the sunset strip. Was that, that must've oh, yeah. been in their infancy as a band. That oh, was, yeah. was, they weren't even called steel Panther at the time. They were oh. called um, metal shop metal shop. And yeah. They would play it uh, every Monday night at uh, the Viper room. 
And oh. Styx wasn't even in the band. The drummer was actually Ray from Corn, who was really to him playing in Corn. He was in Metal Shop. And he okay. put on a wig and <laughs> I go up. Oh man, we had so much fun. One night we were jamming and they would they would let me get up and play with them. Uh, and we were playing a, a Bon Jovi song, and all of a sudden the crowds parted. And Meatloaf literally came running <laughs> up to the stage. And Meatloaf's a big guy. Yeah. He jumped up on the stage, left up there and grabbed the mic. <laughs> and they started doing a duet. And I'm like, I'm on stage at the playing with Bon Jovi songs with Meatloaf and Metal Shop. Like, it wow. was bizarre, but it was so much fun. That sounds that, like a blast. Any yeah, other that special was, that guests? Was Monday, that was our Monday night hangout was you'd go down, see Dale Gloria, because she was the booker and the promoter. She's an old friend of mine. And hang out with all my friends at the uh, at the Viper Room and and listen to some fun eighties and get up and jam. It was just the best. Oh, that's real. And then they moved to the Key Club, I think. Right? Yep. That's a yep. bigger as venue. Things, yeah, as things got bigger, and they moved to the Key Club, and I think that's when they took on the name uh, uh, Metal uh, Steel Panther. Steel Panther. Yeah, right. I used to go see him in Vegas. They play at the House of Blues, and it, it used to be free. And they'd be every Saturday. They'd be there, and I'd I'd get my girlfriend get so mad because every time we go to Vegas, I'm like, we have to see Steel Panther. She's like, again? I'm like, yeah, because every time I see him, the show was totally different. It was like almost uh, new songs. All the banter was totally different. I don't know if they improvise yeah. that or what, but every time I see him, it's different. Yeah, I mean, I, I would see him from week to week, and I I swear to you, I they really had the, the chemistry of a great comedy team. I yeah, mean, it was. Just- unbelievable like funny and witty and smart mm-hmm. you know but totally getting it yeah it was great yeah so you're doing la guns um what what of all the la guns songs that you like played with and uh and wrote is there any that you're like what are the ones that you're most proud of or that really stand out to you i mean the first record i got to make with those guys waking the dead was was pretty cool i i had never i had never really been in a situation where they, a band would just say, hey, let's all sit in a room and literally or, or go to sound check. Let's just get up and write a song. And I'm like, wow, that's great. You know, usually bands would like, hey, I got this song. Let's work on this. Or the songwriter for the band uh, would allow me to co-write with them. Mm. Uh, but this was just like, hey, what do you got? And I'm like, man, I got a bunch of ideas. You want to hear them? And they'd be like, yeah, fire away. And it, that that that's a record that's really, really cool. And I think kind of stands the test of time for a, a rock metal album and and getting to make a record with those guys, you know, I mean, I was literally in with the OGs. I was the only one that wasn't, that was the new, was, wasn't an original. So, I mean, you can imagine the great stories, you know, that I, I got to, got them to tell me and still do. I still would tour with them and I'm like, Hey, tell me about this and this. And, you know, what'd you tell me a story? I want to hear, tell me a story. Is there anything well, you can remember? We were making a record with Andy Johns, you know, yeah, the yeah. Guy who recorded Stairway to Heaven, you know? So right. being that, that Tracy Gunn's, favorite band is Led Zeppelin I would say that that's in my top five we're, we're playing with the guy that recorded Led Zeppelin so just getting to be to show up every day and walk in the studio and go oh my god like I'm getting to make a record with Ellie Guns and Andy Johns is producing it you know it was just just blew my mind I think there really wasn't a day in all those years that I I wouldn't wake up and go this is pretty cool, man. I am really, <laughs> I am really thankful yeah. for my life today. I did not, it, there was no drudgery. There was no, Oh, I got to go do this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I get to go do this. Today. No, that's amazing. I get to go rehearse. I get to go play with these guys that, that I was fans with that. I had their albums that I had the pictures on my wall that were one of the coolest bands from that era and uh, still are, you know, yeah. it was, 
That's really cool. And then it it gets better because then you get to play drums and guitar for uh, Brides of Destruction before they were called, they were called Cockstar. So that's Tracy Guns and the Nikki Six. So that must have been, I mean, you ended up leaving uh, for whatever reason, but like you, you were playing with them for a little bit, right? Really, all that really, that really mounted to was at the end of a tour, Tracy had connected with Nikki and they both said, Hey man, I want to do something. Do you want to do something? And Tracy's like, yeah, let's do something. So what Tracy said was, Hey, we're going to do a, I'm going to do a side project. Cause Tracy was always known to do stuff like that. Right. He just needs to <laughs> keep a lot fresh, of stuff. man. He needs to, to keep inspired. He needs to keep moving. He doesn't want to do the same thing twice. Um, and so he's like, Hey man, will you help me with this? And I'm like, yeah, of course I will. So we got off rehearsal. He said, here's a bunch of ideas I've been sending back and forth to Nikki. Um, we got to find a singer. So I said, well, all right. I said, I, if I know of anybody, let me, uh, let me go through my ro- little mental Rolodex. And I literally was going to get my hair cut that Saturday from a guy named London. And I went down on Melrose to the salon and London and I talking a little bit and he's cutting my hair and I go, Hey man, you sing, right? And he goes, yeah. I go, you didn't, you used to, you did something with George Lynch or something. And he sang something out loud. I'm like, Oh my God, this guy can sing. So I went back to Tracy and I go, I think I may have found your singer. And he goes, really? And I, and I said, I literally took a Polaroid picture of him. And yeah. I took it back to Tracy and I showed him. He goes, if that, and he sent it to Nikki and Nikki goes, I don't care if that guy could sing and he's the coolest <laughs> looking guy ever. He's in the band. <laughs> so literally we said, well, how do we get him an audition? So this was before Pro Tools and all this stuff. I literally got my whole studio, threw it in my car, went over to Tracy's house, set it up in the living room. And Tracy and I recorded an old sweet song. And we had London come over and sing it. And it was incredible. And so about two hours later, he called Nikki to come hear it. Nikki came over and put on the earphones and was literally sitting listening to him. And he goes, this guy's great. That's it. And that's how London got to be this, the singer. And that's how we figured out that was his audition. That's awesome. So they, well, I got him a, a, I hooked him up with a buddy of mine who had a rehearsal hall and they got in there and they started jamming. And initially it was supposed to be Chris Coles on drums mm. and they had said, you know, maybe Adam will play keys or maybe he'll do something. Maybe he'll be involved in some, some way, shape or form. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So for about a month before Chris was on off tour with Adima, I was playing drums with them and we were just literally jamming old, like Ellie guns and old Motley songs and old Led Zeppelin, the three or four of us, just so they could kind of get, you know, like feel each other out and just play some music. Um, and then when Chris came back at one point, I was playing rhythm guitar and, I never really did officially was in the band mm-hmm. and John Karabi really wasn't either. It was just, it went through so many stages of mm. maybe it's going to be this, maybe we're going to call it this, maybe he'll, he's going to be in it. So, you know, I, I was actually really, I had, I kind of had fun with all that because that, that was actually a dream come true to because getting to meet Nikki, play some music yeah. with him. He actually gave me my first G5 Mac G5 for my first pro tools rig. Um, and helped me get started with all that because he was all, way into all that long before I was. Um, but after that whole thing had kind of started to gel and I, I kind of like said, you know, Ellie Guns is getting ready to go to Europe. And Tracy goes, well, you, you know, have them take out Brent Muscat and Carrie Kelly or somebody fill, fill in for me you know, mm-hmm. while I do this. So that was the whole idea. We were going to go to her uh, Europe for a month and have fill-ins. And I go, I've never been to Europe. I'm ready to go to Europe. This is a, a chance I can't pass Oh, up. I see. So, okay. Yeah. So with everybody's blessing, you know, I went and, and did that. Okay. And eventually it just, it, you know, everything kind yeah. of 
became what it became. But, you know, Tracy really needed to do something different to get fired up about LA Guns again. Yeah. So then you started getting into production. You reconnected with CeCe and you helped out with some of the poison on the covers album, right? Like you did help out with some of that production. Yeah, I actually, (laughs) it's funny. I had to make some amends to CeCe. Um, You know, when you get sober, you make amends to people that Mm -hmm. you feel like you did wrong. And CeCe had given me a guitar years ago and I had gotten rid of it because I wanted a different guitar or something. And uh, he, it was mine to do whatever I want, but I kind of felt like I needed to like, uh, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to make amends and tell him what I'd done. So I got him on the phone, hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. And he's like, bro, listen, come on. If that's the worst thing you'd, you'd <laughs> or, you know, that's, come on, let me tell you what I did, kid. You know, and he had actually gotten sober too. Yeah. So we were two sober guys reconnecting, you know, going to meetings together. And he goes, listen, I'm getting ready to do this cover record. Will you come in and help me and just help me? I don't have, I need some guitars and amps and you can help me get sounds. So I literally just went in and did whatever they needed me to do, you okay. know, which was great. I got to go learn uh, the, the the big room at A&M with Don was producing. I got to hang out with all those guys and really get to know the, the rest of the band, which I didn't know them well, and spend a month in the studio with them. Just just soaking up knowledge, getting paid to, to hang out and make a record with them. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. What did you learn? Because, I mean, you now you've worked with LA Guns and Nikki Six and Poison. Yeah. What did you learn in, in terms of production? Because this is kind of before you started doing the production side yeah. of it. You know, I, I could tell I, I could tell, you know, it would take me all day to tell you all the, the, the lessons. But one of the great things I learned was to keep my mouth shut and to listen more hmm. than speaking out. And okay. when you're when you're uh, assisting people in the studio, you don't need to give your an opinion. You don't need to, you know, unless they ask you what you think about something, you know, like I, I'm a very opinionated person and I would, you know, love to raise my hand and say, Oh, I got a great idea for that. But it's like just knowing your place, knowing you in the chain of command and, and being a sponge, soaking it all up and learning stuff. And also not, not being afraid to ask questions. Like I would ask Don when I knew it was an appropriate moment to ask Don was a question uh, that I wasn't interfering. They weren't, they didn't have a workflow going. Maybe mm-hmm. he was just chilling and I would be like, Hey, I have, I have a question about that. And he would be like, of course. Well, not only did that turn out to, to be an amazing learning experience, Don was so kind. He like started to say, Hey, so I hear you're into production. You know, let me play me some stuff you've done. I literally played some stuff. Don had had a producer manager for me, a meeting set up a week later, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, you know, like, some things, if you just let them happen and you just get in the, the way the water's flowing downstream and you don't fight it and you don't try to swim upstream and huh. do your own thing, you just let life carry you the way it's supposed to go, all, all of a sudden it feels really easy and things just start happening. You know? huh. Well, I hope that happens for me. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, with production, you know, but other stuff. But so, like, well, what? Life, man. You yeah. just have to, like, sometimes you just have to let go and trust God that He's got you and, like, show That's me good advice. Where you want me. You so know, show me where you want me, not where I want myself to be or not. What okay. I should be doing. Maybe I should. Yeah. Maybe that's good. If I, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm swimming upstream too much. But so when you see like these bands, like uh Nikki six and, um, and LA guns and poison, like in the studio, I'm just curious, like at this point in their careers, cause they, I mean, they could just retire if they wanted. I'm sure. I'm sure they have enough, but are they still like, go get it, go getters. Are they still like putting in the really long hours in the studio time and working super hard? Or is it kind of more just like, eh, well, whatever. We're kind of more chill at this point. Yeah. It's a little more chilled at that point. You know, uh, you still have the, the, the big studio budget of $2,000 a day 
know, looming over your head. So you can't chill that. Okay. Much. Yeah. You know, where they All used right. to spend two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars on an album. Now capital might give them fifty grand. You know, at best. Okay. You know? Right. So, they really have to maximize that time in the studio. So, uh, but you know, you can't change a band like Poison that much. They they live the, the rock and roll excesses and the and the heyday. So you can't expect them to really do too much less than that. So you right. have to work. How like, do we pull it yeah. off? You know, how do we pull it off? Because uh, Nikki Six, yeah, Nikki Six would always say like. You know, like, okay, I don't do drugs anymore, but like, I still burn. Like, I still have that like burning, like, you know, I got to do something. And I think that's what, when he yeah. was younger, he would just like have this like energy and then he would use the drugs and then kind of yeah. use the, do, do it, a channel it through that way. And so is he, yeah. and now I would assume he's kind of more channeling through the music and all these other projects and that he has. And it's photography. I mean, he's yeah, totally that's right. Art. He does that. Art. Yeah. You know, he's going to find ways to be creative, even if he's not, you know, I'm sure he's got a guitar up in Wyoming and a, and a laptop. So he's probably doing something at all oh, times. Yeah. He's Plus, living the know, life guys, up there. You know, we get, you know, you know, once, once you hit 50 and you have families and you, your life is a little more chilled, you know, digging in the backyard in the flower bed, you know, which would be laughable when you're in your twenties, you know, <laughs> like something kind of meditative about yeah. doing that, you know, it's just, you, you, ha you just want different things in life. Your, your priorities kind of align themselves a little different playing with the kids and the dog and, you know, all those things that, that you just thought were like, that's not my life when I'm right. a Hollywood guy in my twenties, Yeah, they, they're like, that's my life today. And that, those are the things that I really love doing. You know? Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah, it's getting older. I know I noticed it too. But okay, so George Lynch, you produced one of his albums. Now, yep. people, I've heard some stories about him. Some people say he rubs them the wrong way. But others people tell me he just kind of has like a weird sense of humor. Like what was your experience of working with him? Well that's the funny thing is, is, is I had heard all that stuff too. Yeah. He was a totally sweet guy, totally huh. great. But I also had spent um, three, four months on tour with Don Dawkin. So I got oh. the, uh, those guys telling me about George Lentz and none of them okay. said the guy's an asshole. They, they okay. just said, he's just a really different kind of guy. And, um, and so I got to see that he's just, he's just a really unique individual. He's not a very outgoing gregarious hey da, 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 da. he's just really introverted and you know that can be that can come off sometimes right like, what's wrong with that guy is that's what weird? i see that's what i think sometimes people if you're introverted which yeah. i i believe it or not i I feel, I feel like i'm kind of more of an introvert but i think sometimes yeah. if you're quiet or if you're kind of introverted people mistake that for you're being an asshole and you're not, you're not being friendly and that's outgoing it. enough but it might just yeah. be because they're kind of uncomfortable around big groups of people that's exactly it man sometimes the people that you think are you know they're the most insecure people around you know mm -hmm. and and they're just quiet and 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 shy and yeah so i had a ma an amazing time he drove up uh he had literally he he brought every amp you could possibly, and I literally stacked them up to the ceiling like amps. And the funny thing is, is we auditioned every single one of them and we picked one amp. for the whole <laughs> So it's just for looks then. Well, no, he wanted to try them. Oh, all. I want to he try really them. Okay. Did. Wow. You know, he, he's still from that old school. Like I'm going to like, let's, let's bring in everything. And then, you okay. know, Hey, if we read it down, that's fine. But I want to have all the options, but it's just, it was funny that we only ended up using one. That's funny. So then vanilla ice, you got to work yeah. with him. Now, 
before I got into rock, I was a big Vanilla Ice fan. I mean, I was in sixth grade, but like the behind the music on him was so fascinating. And I know he's done some TV and and movie stuff too, but is it all business with Vanilla Ice or did you like hang out with him outside the studio? Like, does he make you call him Vanilla Ice or do you? No, you know, I, I didn't even work with him in the studio. I did all, he they did his stuff when he was on tour in Dallas, his okay. vocal. And, and I did all his tracks and then I put it together and mixed it, but I didn't even, he, we weren't even in the same room, unfortunately, like a lot of records are done these days. Interesting. Oh, so you yeah. did, was like more like mixing and stuff then, or you did produce it, uh, right? Yeah, I did all, I did all the music, mixed it and he recorded his vocals and I literally flew him in the tracks. Interesting. So, Is that, yeah. what about Leif Garrett? What was he like? He, yeah. That was another great Leif, behind the music. Yeah. Leif's amazing, man. He's, he's a total sweetheart. He's one of the smartest, funniest guys you'll, you'll meet, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's just been through a lot. And, and I think when you're a child star, you know, nine times out of 10, it's, it's hard to come out of that mm. with, with a, and, and live any kind of normal life. And I think that's maybe what he struggles with is, you know, dealing with the other side of, of being a child star. Um, but he's incredible. I mean, he comes in, he sings in key. I never have to tune his vo- vocals. He's old school. He knows how to sing double himself. And he's great. He's great. He's a blast to work with. He's a hmm. lot of fun. We had That's... a good time doing that. And then you got to tell me about William Shatner. And this record is so cool because of all the guest stars, Peter Frampton, Sheryl Crow, uh, yeah. Mike Inez, Michael Schenker, Zach Wilde, oh, Richie Blackmore. Uh, I mean, Everybody. did so you get to work with those guys or those people that came in and, and laid their tracks when you weren't there? Most of the people I got to work with, um, Cheryl Crow came in, Lyle Lovett came in. We did Zach Wilds up at his place and me and Shatner went. Uh, Nick from the Strokes, who's a buddy of mine, he came here. Um, but there was a couple like Richie Blackmore who wasn't here. He okay. you know, he lives in in the woods of New York and oh. uh, Pat Reagan will record him there and then he'll send his tracks. Okay. But uh but yeah, man, I I ended up getting to meet him and uh the, pre- the president of the label said, Hey, I, I'm going to put out a really interesting record and I think you might be great to do it. And we just hit it off. And he ended up saying, listen, I, uh, Shatner would be like, I have no idea about music. I just know that I, <laughs> I, I have a blast doing this. It's yeah. really funny. People get a kick out of it and I've been, and it's a lot of fun. So let's see what we can do. And, uh, we just ended up becoming friends, strangely enough. And me, me and my wife go over and watch Monday Night Football at his house now. What? So <laughs> I, I've been, and I've ended up doing three records with him now. And we still hang out. We go to his charity horse shows and we go hang out with his family. It, it's really weird because like out of everybody I've worked with, yeah, you know, becoming friends with, a, you know, at the time he was like 85 years old. He's still the coolest guy in the room. He's still the guy that's just like, he's hip, he's cool, yeah. he's funny and smart he's a sweet and he doesn't he's not too cool or he doesn't have too many friends already he's willing to take you on as a friend and have you over still at this point in his age it's fantastic man you'll go over there and you'll see all of his friends over there and his friends are a really great colorful eclectic group of people i mean really uh fred dreyer who used to play for the rams uh uh uh, Henry Rollins will be there. His what? neighbor, Valerie Bertinelli will come over. It's just this real, huh. and then, and then his family and his kids. And, and it's just this really great fun group of about 20 or 30 people. And they have, and he caters it. So there's food and it's fun and you barely watch the game. You're just hanging yeah. out and having a great time, but he's an amazing guy. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. And so then you, yeah. um, you started doing this, uh, like you said earlier, the TV and the movie work. 
And I've heard, yeah. um, I talked to Devin Bronson uh, yesterday, I interviewed him and, and he's doing some of that too. And he said, that's kind of like, that can be like a, like a good gig for musicians. Cause it's kind of like the bread and butter. Cause you know, now obviously album sales are not uh, as yeah. w- much as they were, but this can pay a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I had a song in a, in a big movie years ago. It was the first born identity with yeah, born, the born identity. So that was 20 years ago. And it's every time I turn on the TV, it's still on. And every time that that airs, I get paid. And every time it airs on Showtime, I get paid. And every time it airs uh, in Europe. So I get sheets, hundreds of pages of sheets of the Born Identity aired everywhere, all around the world. You know, Oh, it's a whole sheet. They don't just give you like one check for the month or something or. Yeah, but you get a breakdown. And oh, you, you do see, get a breakdown. Okay. It, aired, it aired on this oh. channel in this country at this time wow. on this date. Um, and and the, the cool thing is, is I've got about three or four hundred songs out there that have, that have been in hundreds of TV shows and dozens of commercials and dozens of movies. And that's always airing. And and, and, uh, and we call it mailbox money. You know, you yeah, quarterly, you'll see royalties from that. So that's been a great blessing, you know. And Absolutely. so and that's what you're that's kind of your main thing. You don't want to tour. Uh, no road plans, but you, it's mostly studio with the movies and TV. But then, um, are you playing drums and, and you're doing some recording on the new LA Guns album? Tell me about that. Yeah, you know that that I ended up recording the their Christmas EP that they did two years ago. Okay, um, and we did it here. And uh, Tracy actually was in um, Europe with his family over there, so he did his tracks there and sent them to us. But we did everything else here. And that ended up going really great. So when they said, hey, we're going to do a new L.A. Guns album, uh, let's do it at your place. And I said, great, I'd love to work on it with you. And uh, so we started planning that. And then the pandemic hit. And then Mm. everybody had to shelter in place. But they continued writing and they said, hey, we have a single. I think we want to put a single out. And so I said, well, I don't know how we're going to get a drummer in here because at the time, Nobody was going anywhere. Mm. So by default, they just said, hey, you play drums on it and you can mix it and we'll send you all our tracks. And everybody did their tracks at their place. And that was that single Let You Down. That's a brilliant song. I love that. That's the the latest one, right? Yeah. I think so, too. It sounds like it should be in a movie, too, or like a TV show. That was one of those songs that that happened. And I said, I wish I had written that song. That song is incredible. Mm-hmm. So, Do you have yeah. an opinion on the, the two versions of LA Guns? I interviewed Steve Riley, nicest guy. Uh, but I know that there's this like rift and there's two, it's like such a weird thing. I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if you have an opinion or a comment there, on that. There will never probably be a, a solution to that you know <laughs> right I, I know that's what it seems like i understand i understand how it happened because i was there in you know the band with tracy and steve and all those guys and i yeah. saw it happen you know and then i saw St- tracy do his, do his thing and then there was two bands and it was just it's 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 a shame it's a shame because it dilutes the brand it it's it's a shame people can't we can't all get along but that's life and life is too short and friends or family if if we can't find a way to get along there's no sense in being miserable go you know wish you the best you know? so do you think one of them should change the name then or do you think they should like well, i definitely think it shouldn't be tracy guns and phil lewis i'll just put it like that yeah i mean that i just yeah i wonder it is confusing but i get steve's point too because he's like well i helped build this brand up so i don't want to just like not get and so i don't know yeah you're right i think there's just not a a, a solution for that one so 
Um, yeah. Is is Tracy doing a? Are you producing a, another thing with Tracy and Michael Sweet? Are they doing a project together? Yeah, they're doing a record and they, they called it Sunbomb. And uh, Shane, who was playing drums in LA Guns, was going to play drums on it. But Shane ended up getting a gig working with Kanye West. And so he went off to do his thing. And Tracy said, hey, w- why don't you play drums on the Sunbomb record? And so it turned mm. out I ended up playing drums on it. And then Tracy said, you want to mix the record too? And I said, yeah. So we oh, cool. ended up doing a Sunbomb record and it's done and it sounds amazing and it'll be out next year. And okay. it's really cool. I mean, it, it almost sounds like, uh, you know, we were all such fans of like early Iron Maiden and like yeah. the first and stuff. It almost sounds like kind of like that with Michael Sweet singing because that was something that both of those guys loved. And they jokingly said, hanging out one night, we should make like an old school metal record. And they both said, yeah, that's, and that's what happened. That's what's so. so cool. When you're at that level, like you can just do this stuff. It's almost like for fun. And like, obviously Tracy likes to make music cause he keeps doing, yeah. it. he keeps doing all these other projects. It's really cool. Do you have any yeah. other uh, projects that are upcoming that either production or playing? Um, right now I'm working on tons of music for TV and film okay. because it just seems to come in waves for mm. some reason. Huh. Um, I don't know why that is. It's like anything feast or famine, but I'm just working on a lot of music stuff like that right now. Do you, was there any, um, uh, gigs like either playing or production gigs that you were in the running for that you didn't get? Oh man, I'm sure plenty. Um, you know, when you're in Hollywood and you go on auditions and stuff, you know, it's just like, it's like being an actor, man. You're going to go on a lot of auditions that you're not going to get the gig for. And really? I can't even think of, man, there's just been so many, so many. There wasn't one that you really wanted that you, cause I, yesterday I talked to Devin, he was saying he, uh, he was in the running for uh Prince and he's like, Oh my God, that would have been amazing. Was there any big stars like that, that you would have. No. Um, the only kind of thing like that, the, yeah, Prince. That would have been a great. I can't even. <laughs> I can't, really can't think of anything because I've never auditioned for anybody on that level or anything like that. Yeah. But that's that would definitely be disappointing, but understandable. Prince's. How do you get a production like to be a producer? How do you get those gigs like the William Shatner, Vanilla Ice, and do they reach out to you or? Well, that's all through a record label. You know, okay. I know a president of, of Cleopatra Records and he just will have a project and he'll be like, okay. hey, I think you'd be great for this. Would you be interested? And I'm you know, yeah, that's, that's kind of how you, how you get it, you know, just from, or somebody hears a record you did and say, Hey, we heard you, we like this record and we're interested in working with you. And, but most of it come through the label. Mm, okay. So it's, and a lot of it's connections who, you know, and stuff like that. It's all who, you know, yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. so back in those party days when you weren't sober, like, and there was all these parties going, what were some of the, was there any, like a, a one party that really stands out where you're like, you just couldn't believe the the people that were there, like these A-list celebrities or rock stars well, or movie stars or. I, when I, the, when I moved out in 94, I ended up uh, meeting a girl named Julie McCullough and she was yeah. playmate. She was a, growing a pains. playmate and she was on growing pains and Julie and I ended up becoming really good friends. And Ju- I realized that once she and I became friends, we, we just had a, a group of mutual friends of about 20 or 30 people because Hollywood is just such a tight knit and everybody knows everybody. Mm. And so we would play down at this club, me and a bunch of friends, um, just a cover band. And Julie would come down and bring all her playmate friends and Hugh Hefner and all his girlfriends at the time. 
And this became a weekly thing on Wednesday night. You know, we'd reserve a table for them and we would just have the Wednesday night party uh, at what's called the Opium Den in Hollywood. And then eventually they took that party and we started doing it at the Playboy Mansion. And it just became this legendary party. And then we would go out there and hang out for New Year's and Halloween. And so I, I, I was for years, I was at a lot of those parties. And, you know, you can imagine the people you you would see and meet and the things you would experience out there. It was it was a fun decade. Do you have to sure. sign the NDAs? I'm really curious about this NDA. Thing. I never I, I don't ever uh, remember anything about signing anything like that but but i'm really old school so maybe that was before my time maybe that they're doing that all that stuff that's yeah because now it seems like they don't want those stories but nothing stands out that a story that you want to tell here is what you're oh man i mean i i I literally remember like walking around like in the back of the playboy mansion and there's uh flamingos walking like this and you're just going where am i where is my life and then i look over and you see jack nicholson going man this is a life (laughs) and you're like you're telling me that's crazy some great experiences just some crazy stuff i remember going up and and my girlfriend at the time and i were out were out there and i said wait hey man i used to love that guy robert blake he was on that show beretta yeah before the robert blake Murder. murder case and i went over and talked to him and he was nice and we had a little chat but he had a dark, dark aura about him. And I left that that moment going, whoa, that was creepy, man. He had a creepy vibe. And my girlfriend said the same thing. And then years later, that happens. Big, big surprise. But wow. yeah, man, you know, live, when you live in Hollywood long enough, you you're you're going to end up coming across or getting to know or hopefully, you know, even best be, becoming friends with some people that you really love. And, you know, I've gotten to meet or work with or play with. Uh, all of my heroes, you know, Beatle from the Beatles to the Stones to the, uh, you know, it's crazy. Wait, it's the crazy. Beatles? I live, so you, I live a, bl- a very blessed life. What interactions yeah, did you have with the Beatles? I got to know Ringo uh, from being around and having connections and mutual friends. And so I'd see him about once a week. And it's crazy. Did you man. play with him ever? No, I ne- never played with him. But we, we've had a lot, lot of long chats and, and like. My, my, I have a daughter who has cerebral palsy and he has a, a stepson who has. And so oh. when my daughter was born and she was diagnosed with that, he, he was very helpful in giving me some big hugs and saying, Hey, it's going to be all right. My stepson's been through it and he's 20 years old. And now he dates girls and he's the life of the party and everything's going to be okay. And he was one of those guys that when you tell you everything's going to be okay, you listen to, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's very wise. Yeah. Well, um, I do like to end with a charity. Is, that, is there a charity related to that or something else that you want to highlight here? There you, there you go. You know, I think um, my wife would probably be the one to talk to about the best charity, but I asked her last night, which she likes the best and the Cerebral Palsy Foundation is the one that uh, she thinks is the one. Okay. And I'll put that in the notes. Nine-year-old girl uh, that we love so much deals with all that. You know, mm. we just try to be as helpful and, and as supportive as we can. And yeah, that's a, a great avenue to do it. Okay, great. Well, I'll let, people can check that out if they want to donate. Um, any other, anything else that I missed? Any, uh, anything else you want to highlight here? Man, I don't know. We'll we'll talk another time. We'll yeah, the David Hasselhoff saga, saga, and and stuff like that. Wait, Hasselhoff? What? Is that a whole other yeah, episode? I, I produced his his album t- a year or two ago called "Open Your Eyes," and and that was quite a an, an experience. He was filming <laughs> some stuff for the Travel Channel. <laughs> And literally, I'll have to send you a, a, a 
he would have camera crews coming in here and filming and say, Hey, I'm going to film today. Is it all right? So we wouldn't get much work done. But uh, one day he literally said, Hey, I said, are you coming? It's one o'clock. He goes, I got a film crew with me. Is that okay? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'll be here in 10 minutes. He goes, stand outside with your camera. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, stand outside with your camera. So I, he goes, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So I literally stood outside and filmed. And all of a sudden, a caravan of cars came around the blocks right in front of my house. And he was literally driving the Night Rider car. <laughs> that is awesome. And pulled up oh. with it. And, and he goes, hey, I was like, I'll send you the video. And <laughs> I got to show my little girl and we got to sit in the Night Rider That's car. That's awesome. He literally brought it by. So, I mean, the perks of what I do. That is amazing. Can, you can got some great pretty, stories. Pretty funny. Did yeah, you ever was, see him do the cheeseburger? Do you ever have the drunken cheeseburger moment with you, though? Or? Yeah, we never had that. Okay, moment. That's Thank goodness he's, been, he's been sober, but good, unfortunately, good. unfortunately, God bless him that, you know, because of the Internet that that will uh, be there to haunt him the rest of his life, sadly enough. Oh, that's, we've all had that. But it's just people shouldn't shame him for it because we've all we've all had those moments. So, yeah, you know, but not like, of all our, our moments aren't shared on the Internet. No, that's is that the thing that made him go uh, get sober? Well, you know, to be quite honest, from what he's told me, you know, the reason that that got filmed was because his daughter loved him a lot. And yeah. said, Dad, I want you to sober up and I'm going to show yeah. you what you look like when yeah. you're drunk. And yeah. so she filmed that. And then unfortunately it got leaked out mm. uh, to the, to the, for the world to see, but that, that was actually filmed to try to help him, you know, get his life together, yeah. which he did. That's good. So, All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Adam. This was a blast chatting with you. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime. Awesome, man. Thank you. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. So there you have it, Adam Hamilton. He's got some cool projects coming up, new LA guns. That should be fun. Uh, I really think he needs to maybe write a book and get all these stories down. I'd read that for sure. Uh, Such a nice guy. I want to thank him for coming on. Uh, Make sure to follow his social media. Keep up with what he's doing. He just posted a great picture of him with uh, CC DeVille from back in the day. Good stuff. Uh, You can follow me on social media too. I don't have pics with CC DeVille yet, but uh, you can keep up with all my podcast episodes and other adventures. Uh, And if you want to support the show, uh, if you you could share the episode on your social media, or if you want to go all out, you can write me an iTunes review. Uh, Both those things help. Uh, I want to thank you so much for listening and remember to shoot for the moon.